0: Daniel Matsukawa has been solo principal bassoon of the Philadelphia Orchestra since 2000. Born in Argentina to Japanese parents, he moved with his family to New York City at age 3 and began studying the bassoon at age 13. The following year, he won his first competition and was featured as a soloist performing the Mozart Bassoon Concerto with the Professional Orchestra in New York. He studied at the Juilliard School and the Curtis Institute of Music. His teachers include Harold Gotzer, Alan Futterman and Bernard Garfield. Mr Matsukawa made his solo concerto debut in Carnegie Hall at the age of 18 and was featured in a young artist showcase on New York's WQXR classical radio station. Since then, he has appeared as a soloist with orchestras in the United States, Japan and New Zealand. Mr Matsukawa is an active chamber musician and appears regularly in concerts throughout the year along with his orchestral duties. Prior to his post with the Philadelphia Orchestra, Mr Matsukawa served as solo principal bassoon with the National Symphony in Washington, D.C., the St. Louis Symphony, the Virginia Symphony Orchestra, and the Memphis Symphony. Mr Matsukawa is a regular member of the faculties at both the Curtis Institute of Music and the Boyer College of Music at Temple University. In 2019, Mr Matsukawa has served as a judge by the invitation of Maestro Valery Gugiev and was a member of the prestigious jury panel for the Tchaikovsky competition in St. Petersburg, Russia. Later that same year, he served as a member of the jury panel for the ARD competition in Munich, Germany. Mr Matsukawa also conducts regularly and is currently the music director of the Independent Sinfonia. His conducting activities include appearances in Japan and the United States. And welcome back to Legends of Weed. My name is Joanne Sukumaran and I'm a busunist based in Singapore. Today I'm joined by my colleague, Francisca Bastos. Hello, Francisca. How are you?
1: Hi, everyone. I'm very happy to be here. Could you say a few words to
0: introduce yourself?
1: Uh, So I'm Francisca, I come from Portugal, I'm a bassoonist and a bassoon teacher, I'm a freelancer and um, I'm currently based in Vienna uh, but I lived for a long time in Switzerland and uh, I'm very happy to be here because I'm a fan of the podcast. I'm really glad to hear that, Francisca.
0: Francisca and I met through the BYOM Academy, that's called Be Your Own Manager Academy. It was started by Bernhard Karas in Vienna. I'll put a link in the show notes. Do check it out. It's a wonderful course about career management and there's a wonderful community of classical musicians. But today, I'm really very glad to welcome to the show Daniel Matsukawa. Welcome, Daniel.
2: Hello. Hi. Everyone and thank you, Joanne, for having me. Uh, I'm honored to be here, uh, and it's, uh, it's a real pleasure. I'm looking forward to our conversations.
0: First of all, uh, heartiest congratulations on winning the C. Hartman Kuhn Award from the Philadelphia Orchestra. What a huge honor!
2: It really it does everything. mean it means a lot to me, and I, I really am very grateful and appreciative.
0: I've read that this award is given annually to the member of the Philadelphia Orchestra who has shown ability and enterprise of such character as to enhance the standards and reputation of the ensemble. Although we have never met, I have heard of you many times through my friend Najib Wong who lives in Philadelphia. Recently, I heard your interview with Noah Kogayama and I knew I had to invite you on my show. You spoke a lot about practising... And sound concept. First of all, how can we get more efficient in the practice room? Do you have any tips?
2: Wow okay right off the bat we're starting. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think the best way to think about practicing is to perhaps have an intention when you sit down even if it's like a, okay I'm only gonna practice for the next 30 minutes instead of just mindlessly putting your bassoon together and, you know, just thinking, all right, I'm just going to play, I'm going to practice. But perhaps even to yourself or to oneself, just think about, I want even this to improve, whether it's my legato or vibrato, um, finger coordination, staccato, tongue coordination, uh, sound production concept. Uh, I I know at, at one point we want to think about, we have to, get everything going, right? When we first pick up our instrument, and uh, in, a, in a way, we all know it's a foreign object. Uh, I don't think any one of, of us ever were born with a bassoon in our hand. Uh, I always think of that as a very painful experience for our mothers, but it, it would it would be, uh, it's it's one of my favorite terms in teaching is second nature, where eventually, it's like riding a bicycle or swimming. Once you know how to do both, you know how to play. But it doesn't stop there for us. There is just so much that we need to constantly focus on and grow and learn, constantly finesse and polish, even if we think, okay, I really know how, how to do legato, that it's not just like, okay, once you learn it, you're, you're good for life. Uh, in a way, it's, it's kind of like uh, exercising. And if you're thinking, okay, I'm gonna exercise for the next six months, after six months, I don't have to exercise forever anymore. I'll be I'll, I'll be healthy. It doesn't work that way, right? So, it, in in some ways, we have to maintain that. And sometimes, the practicing the practice session, you could use it specifically to enhance your technique, your ability, your facility on the instrument. Uh, and then the other half, I always say this half is your instrument. It's the bassoon. Take care of that. Take care of you know, scales, arpeggios, other things, uh, study exercises. And and then the other half is you as a musician to cultivate yourself as a musician. I like to say this. Uh, and that means listening to string quartets and operas and uh, wonderful singers, Lieder, Schubert Lieder, Lieder and, and Brahms and all these wonderful things. Because that is where great musician uh, is, that's where it all lies and so when we listen to that and take it in and and enhance it we are growing naturally as a musician uh i always joke with my students please don't listen to bassoon music uh, or don't only listen to bassoon music nothing against bassoon music i mean there are a lot of it a lot of it is is perfectly good and and fine but really if you if uh, the other problem with when you listen to bassoon music is you start listening to bassoon stuff you think about the technique or the technical aspect of the instrument. But when you listen to singers or other other instruments or uh, all types of music in that sense, you're listening for everything else. Uh, yes, we can listen for phrasing and stuff when we're listening to bassoon music. But when we're listening to all this other incredible masterpieces and great music that was ever written, we really grow uh, naturally just by exposing our ears to it. Constantly and constantly, and you're, you're taking it in. Uh, so to start with, I, I always like to think of making every practice session with your instrument have some kind of purpose. Uh, and again, sometimes you just need to learn a piece, right? That could be a purpose. Like, okay, I have this piece coming up next week. I don't know it. And you know that the next 30-minute uh, session or something, you can, you can designate and direct it only for that. Uh, then there could be something that you just want to reacquaint yourself with a piece. Sometimes it could also just be for fun. Like I I always think of um, the Hummel concerto as chicken noodle soup for me. Uh, it's like comfort food. And it's one of those pieces I just come back to and I, I love just playing it. Uh, it's, and when I come back to it, yes, it's not in perfor- perfect performance, you know, shape immediately. But within this, there's scales throughout the Hummel, there are a lot of arpeggios, a lot of articulations, mixed articulations. There's wonderful phrasing, and and it's really good music. So I'm really doing all these things at once, rather than, all right, just for the next 15 minutes, I'm only going to do scales, and then now I'm going to only do arpeggios enough. But sometimes it's nice when I don't have time, I just, like, I'll play something like the Hummel, especially if I'm away on vacation or something, and I don't really want to like, play, but I know that if I Avoid the instrument for too long, I'm going to come back and then it's, it's you know, we all know there's no, um, we call it in, in English, uh, crash course. You know, you, you cannot, I, I kindly yell at my students, please don't practice the night before four hours and because they didn't do much during the week. I'd said it's better if you do even half hour to an hour one day every day than, you know, try to do five to six hours the day before. Because it really goes somewhere else. It goes to a different uh, savings account in your system, a a different uh, um, vault.
0: Yes, I can understand. Uh, Sometimes I suffer from enormous practice guilt myself. Um, I was just wondering, um, do you believe in alternative ways of practicing? I was taking some fitness courses during the pandemic and one of the instructors was saying, Uh, the muscles tend to get bored very easily, so we should try to confuse them. Do you think as musicians, you know, um, we are quite um, physical in terms of uh, practicing? Is there some kind of parallel we can draw from that?
2: Another great question. Uh, Thank you for that. Absolutely. I'm a big believer of practicing away from my instrument. Um, and I sometimes will just look at the music in my instrument is maybe even in the other room, which is better. A little bit of separation, sometimes is good. And it's okay to do it with the instrument in your hand too, but I really like to some like at times look at the music and I will really, it's not just a matter of studying it. I will look at it, observe it, I will see the shapes, I will look at, the way it's structured you'll, you can really think about phrasing i will sing through a lot of the lines and maybe rethink it you know a few different ways a few different times it's not like i'm only looking for a few ways how to phrase it but sometimes the gesture is different sometimes there's a different peak in the phrase and then it comes away uh, but it can also work in, in as we know it cannot just only be one way yes there are some rules and guidelines in music. Like we never want to accent the resolution of an appoggiatura. Like that's just more of a natural uh, rule and, and uh, a guideline in, in, in what we do in music. So things like that, it's, it's, I think it's important to, to study. Like if I'm in an airplane on an airplane sometimes and I look at the music, it's kind of like that mental practicing can really help. And then when I return to my instrument, I'm different. And I I already kind of did this, uh, a lot of the psychological um, practicing, but also internally, I love the word internalized, I have internalized the music by really absorbing it and taking it in, uh, again, differently from when I have the instrument in my hand. Uh, Many people also know I'm a big fan of singing and playing and singing and playing, and then hopefully eventually the two become one, I like to say this. Uh, that is also an alternative way of practicing that you can do in your practice session. Uh, I also do like um, not just the visualizing of the music. Sometimes I I like to, I don't even have purpose. Sometimes I'll go take a walk and I'm just singing it uh, naturally. And, some, and I can tell like, oh, I'm practicing right now. Like I, I'll joke to myself like, okay, you should stop that. You should just, you know think about other stuff or the music or the fun aspect of it. Or sometimes the character is important too. We have to look at the context in the score. So there's so much we can do, so much other than just sit down and, as you said, muscle memory over and over and over again. And I think this enhances and and keeps our, our perhaps our fingers and our muscles and our brains and our hearts very fresh. Uh, and I think that's a really good thing. Sometimes I recommend to students, if they're memorizing a piece, uh, the sofege can help when you sofege different pieces, because it's not like it becomes academic. I'm not very, very academic minded, but I do think it's important to to be able to have both left brain, right brain. We can call it that, uh, you know, the artsy brain and then the academic brain, perhaps if there, if that really does exist scientifically, but it, I think sometimes we can use that instead of thinking, all right, I'm just going to memorize this passage. If you just think, oh, that's just a a G major seven arpeggio. Like just to know that, you'll know what the notes are. And that only takes one second. But sometimes we just blindly play, right? And then we're like thinking, I just need to remember what the notes are and I need to. But if you just think about sometimes the whether it's the theory or the harmony or or the structure, those are tools that we can absolutely use uh, for ourselves. Um, I have a lot of, it sounds very funny for me to say that, I don't mean that in a boastful way, but I I really try to think about using different tools and sharing those tools as resources for for my students because I, I say this a lot, and you probably have heard me say this, Like I tell my students that you will always be your best teacher. This teacher can say something, this coach, this conductor, and it's all wonderful, like, taking that feedback. It's very important to, even if you don't agree with it, it's important to just think about, for one minute, why did they say this? I don't think they're saying it to pick on me. I think there must be something in it for me to, like, like look at and think about. And even that is growth. And we learn how to grow from that. Uh, so I think it's very important to take that. But at the end of the day, when you hear something, you will be able to really immediately recognize and know, this is what I need to do.
1: I agree with a lot of it. I I usually say to myself and to my students that strive to be more of a musician than you are a bassoonist. Because it's a bit too narrow. Bassoon is incredible. It's our means it's a means to, to expression. And it's, as you say, it has to be taken care of. But I, I really, really love that perspective of uh, listen to other music, open your horizons, go to see an exhibition. doesn't even have to be music. It's all material. And um, yeah, I find it very interesting.
2: Yeah. You have to have both. You have to have both and have balance. Uh, athletes are the same. They, they have to stay in shape, In order to be a peak performer and optimal performer in their sport and in their game uh they cannot only go out there and and just do the sport and and play right they have to to still uh, be in good shape but we also don't want an athlete who only spends time in the gym working out and they don't finesse their sport and so again you you have to have both Uh, and finessing can also mean the mental game it can mean strategy it can mean vision it could mean having good i like to call this like if it's basketball you you have to have good basketball iq not just hey look i can i can shoot from anywhere and i know how to dribble really well uh it's more than just that it's it's having that so if we play an orchestra i think it's very important that we have orchestral iq which is really good we have to know our role in the score and not just think oh my god i have a big beautiful high g i'm just gonna you know really play it with such a beautiful warm singing vibrato but it might be a flute solo so you know you you can't you, we have to know these things and not just play and think oh wow i love i love playing i love my instrument i love the bassoon i love singing i love this and that and, and then we just it, it cannot just be so uh because in an orchestra you are a team player and it's, it's in a group, like uh, team sports as well. So it's it's very vital that we take care of, of both aspects, musicianship and the bassoon. And it's funny, Francesca, you say that, because I always tell, tell my students, I would much rather have a great musician who happens to play bassoon, rather than a great bassoonist who happens to play music. And I, I always rather have a great musician.
0: Hmm. Okay, that's great. Um, do you have a, a method, like how did you arrive at your ideal sound concept? Like, how did you work through that?
2: Oh, wow, like that. <laughs> um, it's funny that you... I, I, I'm not against the word arrive because I feel like, and you probably heard me say this as you mentioned, No Kageyama, from the way I live my... I'll even say life—not even just bas- bassoonistic life—but the way I live my life is that, you know, the learning never stops. Ever, the learning never ends. And so, um, arrival—it's like one might think, "Yay, I made it to this great, fantastic orchestra!" And then they might feel like they've arrived. There's a danger to that. I'm not saying people do that, but but if they thought, "I've made it, now I don't," like I'm, I'm set for life, you know. I'm sure that they know that they have to keep going and they have to, but the the danger was, was thinking that like I've made it is you feel like you've done all the work until now. And now that you've made it, you can take it easy and just play. Uh, But again, it's, it's important that the learning and growing never stops. Uh, So I think that is a big key to how I do what I do. As you asked me, You know, what are my thoughts in terms of how do I how how does one get here and and continue? We have to continue is I I think it's important to stay curious, be curious about a lot of things. Uh, we, We know the word complacent, which means you are satisfied with whatever you have, whether and it doesn't have to be whether it's good enough or it's not good enough because you don't want to be insatiable either and just think i'm never going to be satisfied i'm just going to keep going and keep going because that's not a good feeling mm. right but you also don't want to be like ah yeah it doesn't sound great but it's fine whatever mm. that's not good either yeah. right so yeah. we, we we have to have that that funny line that funny balance between both but having curiosity is is how to begin and about everything about even how do I produce one sound? If it's on a piano, you know, and I just go right, that sounds like just just a note. That's just an A. But if I went or 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 right, just to like you can produce those different colors. Same with on our instrument, whether it's bassoon or oboe. I know this is a podcast for both, you know, double reads it's the same we it one note isn't just one note there are probably a million varieties within that one note and knowing this again within the function of every note of every score and context that's also very important uh so being curious about sound how to produce is again very important being curious about okay this is not I'm not doing well enough um, in this area, whether, for for example, it's staccato, then I know I have to work on it and improve. And and then coming up with different ways to do it rather than just what we call rinse and repeat. We don't want to just, you know, just always just repeat, repeat, repeat. If something is not working well after a couple of days, come from a different angle, try something different, try other things. I think it's also important to use your friends, use your colleagues, use your classmates, not just you know, ask your teacher for uh, all the answers. Sometimes it's better that the teacher does not give you an answer. Then you really have to figure it out. And I don't think that they're being a bad teacher by withholding information. So sometimes I, I try not to give the answers right away so that then we can really help ourselves think and mm. reflect. And, deep, and dig deep within ourselves. Okay. And then later on, we know they'll have the tools. It's like, oh my God, I, I don't know what to do. I, I have this situation and and I need I need my teacher or I need my parents or I need my, you know, uh, this is why we don't tie our children's shoes for them every day. We try mm-hmm. to teach them how to do it and, and then they'll eventually practice and learn how to do it and get there. Uh, and if they can't do it one way, maybe there's a different way to tie a shoe, which is a, a beautiful thing. And I'm sure there's more than one way to tie a shoe. And again, that's the beautiful thing about all of this.
0: Yeah, spoken like a true sensei. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking uh, also while you were speaking about sound concept that I think is also has to do with imagination, right? If you can imagine a, a certain color or um, sound, then you can emulate that on your instrument. No, I think it always starts internally, right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And same with all the different composers, right? I mean, I, a French staccato, it, it, and I don't mean that um, in, a, in a sense of nationalism, I don't mean like French versus Germany, but in terms of French music and German music and uh, different composer, Tchaikovsky, uh, Stravinsky also very different they're both from Russia but ob- obviously very different because of the periods or right? the style uh, but also let's say they were both from the same country around the same time the individual uniqueness to each composer of course is, is also very important and very different so to think about that as well is very uh, vital uh, and actually it makes it more fun too that way we don't just keep playing uh, everything the same way. It's like, okay, great sound, great rhythm, great intonation. Next. Great sound, great rhythm, great intonation. And let me just feel yeah. the music. Yeah, feeling is absolutely uh, another part of it that, that's very important.
1: Yeah, as you said before, it's exactly where where being a musician comes in, right? Where you have to think what the music needs and not just the instruments or the, the technique itself. Um, so I'm, I was curious, uh, you've been uh, in the jury in major competitions, and uh, we were curious about what do you look for when you sit in the jury and you're listening to...
2: Uh... I, I'm going to actually start with what you just said. I'm looking for great artistry and musicianship, much more than great... Um, and a great instrumentalist. And sometimes someone might show up and they play flawlessly. They don't miss one note and everything is there. But it, to me, the feeling, the deepness, the, the depth, the musicianship goes so much deeper for, for what I think. I, 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 I often say this as well, like to me, I am more impressed with- Very different people playing simple song than playing something that's like you know like something with with one million notes that doesn't impress me that feels like a a, i call it like a, a party trick or a circus act right that's that's okay maybe it's impressive for two seconds but that's not what you want to be known for it's like oh i know that person he could uh stand on his head while riding a bicycle obviously not possible but like you don't want to be known for that kind of a a trick right you want to be known for I, i shouldn't say known but you we what we do is we have the ability to move people and that is very powerful with our music making and the notes that come out of our instruments and to me, I, that is much more meaningful, period. I mean, I would rather be moved by someone who did something with two notes than someone who just played, uh, you know, 10 pages with one breath and, it, you know, circular breathing, everything, and super wicked trills. Uh, it's like, brrr, everything is just crazy. And uh, quadruple tonguing, uh, you know, we can just go on and on, like all these things, but that doesn't really impress me or stay with me. So going back to your, your great question, Francisca, it's, it's just, yeah, on a jury, I, I guess I, I just want to be moved. Uh, I don't want to be impressed. I want to be moved. I want someone to really grab my insides and make them turn. And I would be grateful if they, you know, if they play with my feelings. I know that sounds funny, but I would be grateful if they play with my emotions much more so than, oh yeah, that was really impressive. That was really good. That, like, wow, that person, uh, they really prepared well. And But to me, preparation, as we're talking about here, has more to do with not just the instrument aspect, but the artistry, the musicianship. Because again, art is, is what really can turn our, our insides in, in and out and, and make us forget about the world, make us forget about other things that might be going on, uh, whether they're good or bad. It's just like, it's a beautiful escape. There's a quote, someone said it was Oscar Wilde, but I'm not sure, uh, I, I don't want to give the wrong credit to the wrong author, but there's this really wonderful quote of music makes you nostalgic of places you've never been to. And I love that. I love that quote. Yeah. And and yeah, and in a way, that's that's what I'm looking for as a judge. It's like, take me somewhere else and not just drawn to what you can do finger wise and, and everything else. Yes, sound is important. If someone has a great sound, right away you have my attention. But then keep my intention with what you have to say musically.
1: Uh, exactly we were i think we 're going on the same line here, and we're, we're it's it 's very nice to to hear that somehow we chose the correct questions <laughs> uh, i was I was very interested uh, when I talked to Joanne. I was very interested about your activity as a conductor i 'm always very fascinated with musicians very accomplished, and then decide to try something else, even in your case, it's, it's in music, but it happens sometimes that people start painting or they... So our question was, it's a whole set, new set of skills, right? You have to spend hours studying your scores. It's, it's of course, we do a bit of that as bassoonists in orchestra, but it's not the same thing. So what do you think you maybe got as a bassoonist from being a conductor too? And what brought you to conducting?
2: Uh, again, those are still, uh, yet again, great questions. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I'll, I'll start backwards with your, your, your questions. Uh, what got me into conducting? I think for me, I've always had a, a, a I'll call it low-key interest uh, about with conducting. I, I find it very gratifying in ways that bassoon cannot give me Uh, Obviously, an orchestra is one amazing, giant instrument, and there are no limits. There are things we cannot do on the bassoon, we just can't. We can't, you know, uh, like have that sort of a brushstroke sound on a violin Mm -hmm. and on strings. There are things uh, we can't have the same kind of power and volume as a trumpet. Uh, We obviously can't play notes that sound like a timpani. But you put it all together and it it could be just so fantastic and majestic that the bassoon as a single instrument and single line cannot do. Uh, On piano, yes, there's more than one line. It's multi-lines. And and I always have such great respect for pianists because they're learning more than one, again, a single line. And I, I tease my students. I'm like, you know pianists have to learn these 40 minute fantasies every week by heart and they're not playing just one, you know, one line. Exactly. And it's like, uh, you know, and, and in, in many ways, conducting is like that. You, you really take in so much that is happening and it's not about control. Conducting is not about control. Conducting is about expressing in a different way. Again, something that I cannot do. I, all the time on my instrument on the bassoon. Now I I like to say this. I also don't want to quit my position in Philadelphia and only go into conducting uh, because I still love the ability to create a sound out of nothing. Like if I have a baton and I'm on an airplane going to go somewhere, I can't do. You can't hear anything if I wave my baton. No
1: sound comes out. Yeah. No sound comes
2: out. <laughs> Uh, and so there's something very beautiful about still having the ability to create a sound out of nothing on your own and then keep going with that and uh, and express through that. So it gives me a very different fulfilling or feeling or fulfillment when I play bassoon. I still love doing it. I love it so much. and singing through my instrument and playing with other people. I'm very different. Um, what I've learned, though, also is... When I do conduct, I I know what I don't like from conductors. Uh, I'll try to say it in a, in, a, in a. I mean, nothing bad, but I <laughs> know that like we know how we want to be treated, right? Because when we're in the orchestra, and I and sometimes conductors will say something, we 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 cringe or we're like, oh, like that, you know, he or she should not have said that. And it's it's I I, I think I have learned okay how not to speak to orchestras and because it it can be sometimes condescending or we can choose many different words. So I think that has helped me a lot when I, uh, but I also never think when I get in front of an orchestra, Oh, I'm now here. I am the maestro, whatever that means. Um, Although we all know that maestro actually means teaching. So I like to work with younger orchestras a lot too, because it's not like I feel like I, I have so much to teach, but we share in this and then we can, again, learn and grow together. Uh, and when I conduct, it's, it's a matter of, I have studied the score now, I've looked at the style, I've looked at a lot of the things within the score, and you want to share your your feelings and thoughts about it. It's a wonderful prerogative and, and privilege when you do get to do that in, in front of an orchestra. Uh, for us, when we play an orchestra, a lot of how we... I'll use the word judge, conductors or think about conductors is what they have to offer in rehearsals. That's almost much more important than how they look in the performances, right? And, and so what they have to bring, what they have to add, what they have to give, the thoughts they share, the feelings they share, the images, the, all of it within the expression of whether it's the score or the composer or a little bit of themselves as well that they give, within the music all of that is just very vital and and important uh, in terms of, of when you get up there and you share this it's not like once you get up there and just tell everyone what to do and that needs to be shorter that needs to be longer that needs to be louder that needs to be softer this needs to be faster this needs to be slower i mean those are just very technical terms you know that one might say to help enhance your interpretation but it's so much more than that as we know uh, so I, 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 I do like to say the joke that I'm not quitting my day job. I, lo- I love to still play in an orchestra and I love to still play uh, my instrument uh, a lot. But conducting does give me a, a whole different uh, satisfaction at, at times. Uh, also, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big, I don't know how to say this, uh, people person. I love connecting with people. And I think that's another beautiful way to do so. When you're up there on on a podium, you really feel this beautiful, intimate interaction with musicians as you are facing them, they're facing you, they're playing, and you're giving and they're giving. And it's just this wonderful thing, very different than when we are playing in an ensemble, which is also incredible and beautiful. Uh, So I I think a lot of it has to do with the human side of, of conducting rather than uh, let me just get up there and try to, you know, control an orchestra and, you know, make sure I'm clear on certain things and give you know, these cues and this and that and that and and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. So you exactly. It's not about controlling, and it's more the the. Would you say it has to do with leading more than than um, telling people what to do? Because I was very I was. Going through your bio, and uh, and I've seen I've seen your the music director of the Independence Sinfonia, and I found it very interesting in their mission statement that they say uh, the Independence independent Sinfonia is de- dedicated to excellence in the learning. And I and now I I wasn't thinking about talking about this, but our next question is about how to be how can one be a better lead leader and after what you've just said i think it connects well so Absolutely. how can one motivate yeah. people to to follow your lead
2: right right uh, you did your homework thank you for researching and, and looking into <laughs> the mission statement and everything uh i think you know one has to be very comfortable when teaching and leading uh and what i mean by that is we cannot just I think, oh, I know everything, and I'm the teacher, and you're the student, and you're just going to listen to what I have to say. It, it, it cannot be that. It, it, there has to be a, a side of us that we have to have compassion. We have to have understanding. We have, we have to have the ability to also know that every student is case by case. Every student is different. And some students need something else. We cannot just say one size fits all and to have that understanding. When you're up on a podium in front of an orchestra, you will have 18 first violin players. And naturally, 18 violin players are gonna have their own thoughts and feelings of how the music should go. And that is, in a way, as a conductor, you get to tell them your shape, your shaping of it that week. And uh, and I'm not saying, yay, I, I get to be the boss for one week, and it's so great, And but it's more like that's, a beautiful thing and then, and then they, have to, they know they will respect that because it's not like one violin player is going to stand up and say, I want everyone to play it this way. And then another violinist is like, no, I, I don't think, I, I, I think it should go this way. And then, of course, it becomes like mayhem. But, but when we are, uh, in terms of conducting, I do talk a lot about phrasing, shaping, style, for example, I'm conducting Beethoven Symphony Number no. Two uh, recently, and I, I talk a lot about symphonic style. I talk a lot about Beethoven. I talk a lot about um, perhaps his language, and I'm I am definitely not saying I'm an expert in his language. Uh, I am not. But uh, and I like to say this as well. When it comes to Mozart, I I'm not a Mozart scholar. I don't. I didn't go to Salzburg and study his manuscripts in and out, but but i do like to think okay what can i do to present some sort of classical style classical period style mozart Haydn? things have to be more up and crisp and and less muddy and less you know like like debussy where everything is just more much more brushed and pastel and like french impressionism very different and these are the kinds of wonderful things we can think about as a as an artist on our instrument and very much the same with when we conduct. But to your other question about as a teacher, how can we lead better? How can we, uh, again, I think a really good thing is to try not to give all the answers, but rather ask questions so then they could become more resourceful for themselves. Now, I want to guide. I want to help. I don't want to just be there and be like, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to give you the answers. Because then that's, that also, it's, it feels like you're avoiding, you know, wanting to help them and teach. So there has to be, right, it has to have the the supplemental uh, feeling to that and, and the energy. You want to support your student. And when they then come to the answer themselves, it's an amazing, magical feeling for them. And then you're like, yes. And then they gain confidence. And then they know the next time there's something I'm not going to immediately call my teacher and ask for the answer. They can always call me. I always say I'm a phone call away. You know, if you have any questions, or ask me. But then that can, have, we can create wonderful conversations and, and dialogue. Uh, and again, also because there's not just one way, only one way to do it. And that is very dangerous when a teacher thinks that their way is the, the only way, and the right way, or we can call it dogma, dogmatic and there's no other way to learn. That's very dangerous. Uh, that's my own personal feeling. I, I'm, you know, I respect all the teachers out there yes. for this reason. And I know some of my colleagues whom I respect incredibly probably don't teach exactly how I teach. And and I know I, I don't teach the way they teach. So it's it's. But we respect each other with our own methodology and our own way ways in approaching. So when we lead and try to teach our students, again, knowing each individual person what they need. Sometimes a student actually needs um, a little bit more, uh, I'll call it uh, sternness, and you have to be a little more strict with them, and and they know (laughs) that, and they they appreciate it. And then other students, you you have to do this, you have to sort of be gentle and, and much more supportive. That doesn't mean they are sensitive or, or this or that. It just you can tell what works well as we ourselves things work differently. Um I'm definitely not going to go into romantic relationships, but same with romantic relationships. You have to go in thinking that that there's give and take. And I know this is an obvious thing to say, but but yeah. there's there's learning in relationships and we can learn from each other and grow together again rather than I, I'm i who I am, you're who you are. If it works, great. If it doesn't, you know, I'll just keep looking. But let's say you find someone you you really like them and you get along and you don't always, you will not always see eye to eye, but then mm-hmm. have, have communication, which is very vital. Again, I'm sorry to go to this. no i I was
1: actually going i was actually going somewhere else i'm not a mother but uh, i have many friends with children and when they talk about trying to raise children in a way that they need you less i think about that when i teach and i think that's a bit what you're describing so yeah there's a lot of parallels anyway with relationships with family with family
2: yeah absolutely 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 Uh, I told this very short story once. I was in New York City. My daughters love musical theater and they love Broadway. And we were in a hotel and we were excited. We went to see a show, but we stayed the night uh, before. And the, the morning of the show, my older daughter said, oh, dad, can you help me? Can you go to the bathroom and turn on the shower for me? I want to take a shower. And I said, just figure it out yourself. (laughs) <laughs> and she said, dad, it's, it's different than home it's you know i mean she was much younger so i, I want to give her credit and it, but it's different from home and i said yeah i i realized that but just figure it out see if you can do it and she's like dad and then i said your younger sister took a shower last night here i didn't hear one thing from her <laughs> you know and she's like okay and then like 30 seconds later got it you know and it's like that's that, And in a way, that's a funny and fun analogy in in what we do. It's like we can't just jump and say, oh, wait, let me tie your shoes. Right. Like we we have to eventually get them to figure things out because then they will I will sleep better at night knowing like after school, they have tools and the resources rather than I need to call my teacher. I need to call my teacher. How do I turn on? how do I turn on this faucet? How do I like work this thing? How do I do this? This is very different. And so it's it, it's a really great analogy when we think about relationships and families.
0: Okay, so yeah, so I'm um, moving on to the next topic. Um, so I've often uh, thought during the pandemic, um, you know, about the role of artists, you know, because, you know, there were so many uh, months of lockdown. Um, I was wondering if you had gained some insights during the pandemic.
2: Absolutely. I, I, I think the pandemic gave all of us a moment to reflect. Like we were sort of forced to have time to sit and either it's quiet. You know, we all have our own respective lives, right? We are, some of us are running all the time. Here and there, teaching, performing, playing, rehearsing, uh, commuting, parenting—you uh, uh, know—we can go on and on about how busy our lives is and our lives are. But then suddenly, when you are forced to sit at home and you cannot go to public places and you cannot keep doing what you were doing, you cannot teach in person anymore. You cannot go to the orchestra and perform for uh, an audience anymore. Uh, I, I, I thought about one silver lining during the pandemic was the earth was given a moment to take a deep breath. Right? There were much less cars, much less airplanes running around. So much less pollution was created. And I thought it was a beautiful thing like, oh my goodness, suddenly the earth can, can take a nice deep breath. And metaphor metaphorically speaking, same with us as humans, we are able to now reflect and think and sit and just take a deep breath and look at everything and rethink and relook at everything in and, 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 and many ways. Whether you want to or not, I mean, you, don't, you didn't have to. But for me, uh, I just really thought about what we were doing up until now. The question that we all had was, will we go back to what we were doing? Will we return as performing artists? Will we just go back to just doing what we always did? And, or will, be, will we now need to create something different and new and innovative? What was beautiful that came from this time was we had to go to means of doing, using more video, as we know, more digital um, ability and, and, and technology and so that we can stay connected to people. Again, stay connected to each other, especially when we're all inside. We know this from Zoom, as we're doing this right now, Zoom, I'm amazed that we can do this from two different, three continents. Uh, Francisca, I love what you said at the beginning of this, when we said hello. Like we're representing three different time zones. Uh, I'm in <laughs> Philadelphia, and you know, Francisca's in Vienna, and, and Joanna's in uh, Singapore, like, all these different, right? And And this is amazing. This is beautiful. Like, we couldn't do this even 10 years ago, I don't think. Um, Definitely not 15 years ago and and 20 years ago. So, this is a beautiful thing. And so, perhaps moving forward, the things that we have gained, we should use and we should keep and we should stay connecting with one another and stay connected to each other. And when we go back to performing, It should not just be like, okay, we're going to open up our halls, we're going to sell tickets, we're going to do what we do, we're going to play symphonies and people are going to come. And I think uh, in the Philadelphia Orchestra we have this thing called Our City, Your Orchestra, which I think has been a really amazing thing. And we go out to different uh, cultural institutions, some that are underrepresented, some that are underserved, uh, and we go to different communities. And instead of hey, we're the orchestra, we play in our big hall, everyone come hear us, we'll sell tickets, come hear us and we'll perform for you. But instead, we've been now going out to the communities and trying to have these wonderful, what I call, dialogues through music and also through words, through spoken words. And it is a beautiful thing, it's very important today that we do this. And. I don't believe we should just go back to what we always did. I think it's important that we really share with each other our the differences is a wonderful thing and it should not be something that should make us prejudice. Oh, they're different. I'm gonna be over here, you know, let's be divided. But, and I know I'm not trying to get preachy here, I'm not trying to get political, but it's if we just think about it as like, let's just celebrate our differences and and embrace them, like, how fantastic is that? It's like, we all, maybe some of us only like classical music. I love many genres of music. I love jazz, I love uh, pop tunes, I love, uh, thanks to my daughters, some musical theater. Uh, I, I love some hip hop. I mean, it's not just, I only need Mozart in my life. I only need Wagner, I only need Schumann. Uh, I enjoy the, the differences. I know for myself, I enjoy different cuisines. I love Italian food. I love seafood. I love French food. I love Japanese food. I love sushi. I love all these different things, right? And it, how boring would it be if it was just one type of food? And same with our cultures and our differences, that it's just so wonderful that we have this and we have each other. So why, instead of trying to separate and divide, why not like just enjoy that beautiful aspect of it in, in terms of us as human beings?
0: Yeah, wonderful. I watched uh, one episode of that um, series, uh, "Our City, Your Orchestra," where you were having some works for um, sorry, uh, some Asian-inspired works, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I know you're quite okay. vocal in um, advocating for the rights of minorities and having adequate representation. And last year, we saw so much upheaval, right, with the Black Lives Matter. So um, do you think that we as musicians can bring about some social change through our art or at least a change in attitudes, maybe?
2: I think we as musicians and also we as humans can absolutely make a difference and we should use whatever means we have whether it means using our skills and our talents and whatever um, we have trained uh, you know, most of our lives for, or whether it means doing something else. And it, it, is it important to make a difference? I mean, if we all had the same attitude of, for example, the environment. Well, I'm not going to turn off my lights when I leave the home because I'm just one household. Like that, what difference will that make? But if everyone thought this way, we're, we're in trouble, right? We're gonna waste so much power and electricity and fuel and resources. So every individual can make a difference. It's like voting too. If, if I vote, I'm just one vote, it's not gonna matter. And I know there are people like that who, but if everyone thought this way, then, it's, then it will matter and it, it, it make a difference. So can you, can I, can we make a difference? Absolutely. Can we be outspoken? Absolutely. Do we need to care? absolutely because there are those who have had it much worse than than us uh yes we might have had our own struggles yes but i i just think sometimes i think that we are put on on this earth just to really see if we can help each other and not it's not just to see if we can survive i think it's the opposite i think it's to see if we can uh, yeah like be there for one another and help and and support and uh, and sort of, it's, we can call it kindness, we can call it compassion and empathy. Those are beautiful things that are essential, but a lot of the times human nature is to protect oneself, which is natural and to survive. If you think about millions of years ago and, and uh, or thousands and thousands of years ago and, and cave, you know, people who live in caves, that was about survival they have this sense that there's a beast coming and approaching and a creature it's i want to protect myself i want to run or i'm going to fight right we always call this fight or flight right and it's just immediate natural instinct and i don't think it has changed so much today even though we're not you know we're more in society and we're not surrounded by like you know wild beasts and creatures again it depends on where you live and but but it's, it's sad sometimes that we think we want to just protect and preserve and we just want to like, like survive and we have that survival mode for ourselves. Sometimes surviving also means status quo, meaning not change, meaning I'm, I'm comfortable. And then there's that danger of like, yeah, but you might be comfortable and you're good and then you, you just don't want any change. But sometimes change could also be good for yourself. But we are scared. Sometimes we even decide we're going to stay in something, even we know, even if we know it's not the best thing for us, because we are more fearful of change. And so, I feel very funny in this podcast to talk about all these things. Because I know everyone. Like, I'm not preaching here. I know people really know a lot of this. I just, it's important to have these conversations, and I'm very grateful. That we can share in this uh we can help those uh who are in much more need than, than we are that doesn't mean well to some people it could mean okay let me open up my checkbook and let me give a yes. little bit and to others it might mean i'm gonna go to to the local uh, food sharing bank and help out whether i'll just give a couple hours on on a weekend or and, and everyone, it could be, mean something different. But uh, it's, it, it does make me sad when we just think like, I cannot make a difference, so why do I need to even try or bother and, and care? Uh, and equally, it makes me sad when we're just hoping to just protect and preserve ourselves and our, only our own well-being, when I think we all have the ability to uh, really help and support each other's well-being.
1: You don't yeah. have to feel strange where I think we're all aligned
2: beautiful Music yeah. to my ears on this <laughs> musical podcast
1: <laughs> Well to bring it back to uh,
0: music uh, yeah so um, I'm quite curious uh, what is it what was it like studying with uh, your teacher Bernard Garfield because you inherited his his job right
2: yeah. Yes, I, I did I mean he he was. Uh, He is a wonderful man. He's 97 and still he still has it. And and I helped him from time to time. Uh, What I really loved about Mr. Garfield was his uh, very similarly his just like how you show up is important. And even if it's like a gentle smile, that can make all the difference. And sometimes when I show up in a lesson and he was always very warm and kind and supportive and i think for myself i i needed that and i don't think i knew that at the time and uh i mean i don't think i was the kind of student who needed this all the time like i just i i always needed like yes good daniel good daniel it's it's not that. it's just uh, it's just this feeling of of that energy and then i can carry myself around this way when when i Miraculously, I'll call it this. Won the lottery and and one took over his you know his position and succeeded. Uh, it's funny. I had friends and colleagues from around the country call me, and of course, I was so like on on in heaven and in on cloud nine and, and and in disbelief. And and instead of saying, "Oh my goodness, congratulations! That's just so incredible! Like so great for you." they would say, oh, my God, that's Bernard Garfield's chair. <laughs> and I would always be like, yeah, like thanks. Like, it's like really big cho- shoes to fill because he was a legend. Uh, so that said a lot about like um, what I was getting myself into. But it's an honor. It's an honor to know that that's a line. And just to always succeed your teacher, uh, same way that when I teach at Curtis now, I sometimes pinch myself that I'm able to, to do what he was doing when I was a student both playing in the orchestra and and teaching at Curtis uh but he was he was very um i was just saying he was always a very gentle person and i i also appreciated from him he also did not give me answers a lot of the times and you probably heard me say this in in noah's uh, podcast that i i once showed up to a lesson i said oh mr garfield how do you do uh, vibrato and he said what do you mean how do I do a vibrato just vibrate and I'd have to go home and figure out how to do vibrato <laughs> how do you how do you double tongue what do you mean how do you double tongue just double tongue and I would go home and like I would have to figure it out and but it made me really appreciate like learning the mechanics of it in and of itself rather than just giving. plus we're all physically different we have our a different physique right our um... he once showed me his Teeth and he, he bit down, and his whole bottom teeth disappeared. Yeah. He's like, I have a big overbite, and because of that, his reeds are tiny. And I like so, and, and he's like, i not that he's a, a very small person, but you know, he's not like six feet tall. And uh, so next to him, you know, I am taller than he is. I cannot possibly plan the exact same reed and everything in style as he does. They're wonderful, they're great, but for me. I, you know that it, it's not the same one-size-fits-all. Uh, we know this, right? Of course. I mean, bassoon is different. I mean, they have smaller violins, you know, three-quarter size Suzuki violin, and then full size. Uh, but but our instrument is different itself. But but yes, back to what we were talking about, that Mr. Garfield, I appreciated, especially later on, that he did not give me the answers. And then I, I, I think it made me a better teacher too, because I learning how to do those mechanics. Mr. Garfield was just so natural; like he never thought about how to do vibrato because he was such a, a natural talent. Uh, I'm not saying he was a bad teacher. No, not at all. Uh, I, I, again, he had a lot to offer, and I, I learned so much and gained so much from him. But there were certain things that I really appreciated even more.
0: Okay, yeah, I know that um, I've uh, we've made you talk a lot, uh, so. I just have uh, the final two questions for you, and we we'll let you go. Um, what are some of your upcoming projects you are busy with? I I see that the Philadelphia Orchestra is now back performing live, and it was even in New York, right, recently.
2: Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so we are so thrilled to be back. Also, when we come back, the audience, they, it, it feels amazing that they receive us such, like, with overwhelming warmth. Uh, in a way, we sometimes feel like rock stars will come out and they're already, like, yelling and screaming and standing. And it's just so moving to see that because it shows that we were all hungry to do this, both sides, the audience and the artists. We were all, like, itching and hungry after 20 months of not being able to do this. And and that alone was just so magical. And so we're very, very more than giddy and excited to, to come back uh, we are doing the all complete nine Beethoven symphonies in Carnegie Hall, uh, which is a wonderful thing. We were doing, we we're supposed to do that just before the pandemic, and then of course got, everything got shut down. And I applaud Carnegie Hall for keeping the promise of us of doing all all the symphonies. Um, and one could say, oh, why only Beethoven? But we're also within these programs. We have commissioned a new composer to do a, a work that can have a parallel leading into the, these symphonies. And I applaud um, Yannick Nazis again, our, our music director, who's such a wonderful, also just, he's a great human being who happens to conduct, uh, and a great musician who happens to conduct. Uh, yes, he's a great conductor, but to me it's not like he's a great conductor who happens to you know, conduct music. It's, it's he is the opposite of that, the, in terms of, he really is, greatness in that sense of it, it's all musicianship all good things human and that comes through in, in his way of music making uh the, i'm proud i'm proud that the orchestra is continuing our city your orchestra um the, the whole projects and we're going to continue going to various different um cultural institutions and highlighting the different uh, stories that that they have to tell and um uh, myself again i just um I, as, as francisco you mentioned that i conduct this independent symphonia orchestra I'm, I'm also very uh honored and proud and humbled to do this and we have our first concert also coming back and that that has been very very uh, yeah it's it's very moving and, and touching to to go back to this and i'd like to find a way to continue perhaps staying Connected with our global audience as well, and uh, and Joanne, thank you for talking about like using our platform to perhaps help with uh, social justice and um, and just equality and all these things, and that is something very important for me, and I want to to still continue to try to think about and find ways to continue doing so and. The danger is when something happens, like George Floyd, we all react. But then after months, we go back. You know, we go back to and then something else happens. And and, uh, the the violence against uh, Asians earlier this year and anti-Asian hate crimes, uh, you know, these, we were all aware of this. And then we all tried to speak up. But now we've come back to, again, status quo what we're talking about too, but in terms of just going about, just trying to be surviving our days as as they come. And there's that danger in in that. And so I I want to myself just not to let things just keep going and slip. I want to be better at that. I want to be more active. I think the best thing we can do for each other, if, if anyone wants to ask, is just be better listeners. We have to be better listeners and be active listeners because at the end of the day all of us all, you know joanne francisca myself your your friends your families your students your people your colleagues your relatives you're like all of us you know we we want to be seen and heard it's that's also a very human thing and even if like i'm thinking oh i i'm a very uh, i'm not extroverted i'm introverted Even if you think that, it's still, I think, important for you, even if you have one special friend in your life, to be heard and seen with that person and and vice versa. So collectively, I think it would be really fantastic if we can just, uh, I think the best leaders in the world are the ones who listen rather than um, the opposite.
0: Oh, it's so wonderful. I was telling uh, Francisca that I was feeling quite tired because it's Friday evening here.
2: Awesome. <laughs> but, Thank you for staying up so late. But,
0: but no, I feel rather energized now, like hearing you speak uh, so passionately about all these topics. Yeah, um, Just to end off with a fun question, If we were to visit Philadelphia one day, uh, Francisco and I, and we only had 24 hours, uh, what do we need to do and see? I've heard about this uh,
1: cheese uh, steak sandwich or something. (laughs) Exactly. I was going to say and eat.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and eat.
2: (laughs) For starters, please come. Yes. And please stay more than 24 hours. I I will host you. I will gladly show you around. I'm a big foodie. (laughs) So when you talk about like eat and, and and eating and food, I to me that's like so much of it's a passion in my life. So I will take you to a few great restaurants. Philadelphia has many wonderful great restaurants. We have a beautiful art museum. We have a lot more culture. Uh, there's a lot of history um, here and a lot of historical sites, of course. But we also have a, 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 an array of beautiful cultural centers. I love the many different neighborhoods in Philadelphia. So just to experience that too. 24 hours is not enough time, but it's a really refined city. It's very it's very beautiful and, and quaint, and it's very alive at the same time. I like, sometimes Manhattan can be overwhelming because there are like so many people on this one little island. Uh, but I love it in in a sense. Similarly, Philadelphia is inhabited, meaning there are a lot of people who live right in, in the city. A lot of cities, when it comes to the end of business hours people go home to the suburbs and then the downtown is rather quiet and, and empty and, but I, what I love about Philadelphia is it's very similar to New York in that sense that it's, it's always alive and, and there are many wonderful things to do so please come, I cannot wait till you come here uh, and we can uh, do a lot of wonderful food tours together within the city
1: <laughs> Now we have to schedule that, Joanne <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> maybe uh, next year. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Daniel, for coming on and uh, sharing your thoughts and knowledge with us.
2: I'm the one who has to thank you. Thank yeah. you for having me. It's, it's just, again, it's very it's a beautiful honor. And uh, it's so nice to see you both and talk to you both. Uh, and I love both of your energy and, and your spirit. And thank you so much.
0: And if you have enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe or share with your friends. That would mean the world to us. Until next time, goodbye.